Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. All right, knowing Jesus. We've been, uh, on Wednesday nights, we've been doing uh, small groups in here, Bible studies. If you've not been able to be a part of that, I really encourage you to try to do that. Um, Our group is in the Gospel of John, and we have uh, made it into chapter 4. And we're not quite through chapter 4, but we've been on chapter, we've been on John for about seven weeks now, I think. So um, we're digging in pretty good, and we, we kind of had uh, an experience this past Wednesday that was uh, by the Lord, and it was just uh, unexpected from the, the teaching standpoint. It was unexpected, and he brought out a perspective and things that has just kind of stuck with me. So we're going to try to uh, turn this into five weeks of teaching and uh, dig into some stories on Jesus. So I, I want to set this up for you. I'm going to list out some names and titles of, of Jesus <clears throat> Real quick, it says uh, Jesus, Yeshua, Messiah, Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Son of God, Son of Man, Son of David, Alpha and Omega, Beginning and End, the First and the Last, Only Begotten Son, Firstborn from the Dead, Healer, Deliverer, Food Multiplier, Water Walker, Storm Stiller, and Savior. We know Jesus by these many titles, and from those titles we derive characteristics and traits that we associate with His person. For example, we see Him uh, walking on water and rescuing Peter. So we see that Jesus has an awareness about it, right? We see that He's, of course, we always focus on the fact that He's able to walk on water. We focus on the fact that He was unmoved by the storm, and all these things are true. We see Him as a food multiplier, so we see that He has power over energy and matter, the physical world, in a way that no one else in the Bible ever did uh, before that except for God Himself. We see Him and we know Him by these titles and we attribute things to Him because of this. While these titles are often God-inspired and they do portray a facet of His purpose in the earth, if we only know Jesus through these, we can end up being exactly like the Pharisees and other Jewish leaders. It is amazing to me how easy it is for us to become religious in an instant when we look to God for what God does more than who God is. Does that make sense? And it's, I mean, it's so easy. Like everything that we talk about and sing about most every Sunday is about things that God has done. And and that serves a purpose, right? It it serves a purpose. When David was uh, in the ashes of Ziklag, his city, after the Philistines had attacked it, it says that David took the ephod, he got by himself, and he encouraged himself in the Lord. And, and I believe wholeheartedly, as, as pastor has preached for 30 years here, that, that encouraging, him, encouraging himself in the Lord is that moment of saying, get a grip, take a breath, God did this, God did this, God, he delivered me from the lion, he delivered me from the bear, he delivered me from the giant, he can handle this, he can handle this. And, and we do that all the time, certainly. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure if you're like me, you do that quite often. Um, we do that, we take that opportunity to encourage ourselves. But uh, if we focus solely on what God can do, we can miss who He is. 
and we can look to him for an answer. And if our communication with him, and Brandon said this beautifully a couple weeks ago, if, we, if all of our communication to him is about need and what he can supply, then that becomes the focus of our relationship. And if you've been in any kind of long-term relationship, a need-based relationship is not healthy. No. It's not sustainable, right, in human terms. You can't always pull and pull and pull and pull from your spouse and never give anything back, never connect with who they are. That's not going to last, all right? Uh, it becomes very dysfunctional and very unhealthy. Likewise with the Lord, we get in this mode that says, God, I know you can, I know you can. And then, if you, again, if you've been like me, you get to the point where you're like, but I don't know if you will. And, and while that is a legitimate question to ask, the traits of his person, his personality, who he is, will tell me more than his demonstration and his power. Does that make sense? I love his power. I really want his power. I need his power. I, I have things that I need him to do because only he can do them. Right? However, if it's only about that, then he and I aren't going to last real long. You know what I'm saying? So we have to dig into who Jesus is. And this is what happened Wednesday night. We were talking about the story of the, the woman at the well, and I don't want to give it away because we're going to talk about it in here. But uh, we just stumbled upon some, some characteristics that are a little, a little under the surface about Jesus in that story. And so that's what I hope to accomplish in this. But, but we have to be careful because if our perception of God is only based on what prophecy we've heard about what he's going to do in this election, or what he's going to do in the United States, or what he's doing in Ukraine, or I don't know, whatever. I don't know what you guys listen to, but I know all that stuff's out there. If it's all about this demonstration of his power and his ability, then we're going to miss his person. And when we do that, the second that his demonstration doesn't match our expectation, we have issues, right? The second that he doesn't do what I've been singing and asking him to do, then all of a sudden I wonder if I know him. And it's a trap. It's a religious trap. It's a trap that is, is uh, easy for us to fall into. We fall out of relationship and into religion. And it's not, I don't think anybody falls into it because they want to be malicious and pious and, you know, oh, I'm better than everybody and God does this for me and so he'll do it for you, you know. I don't think anybody wants to be like that. Nobody sets out to be like that. Uh, but it, it's, it's a little bit of a natural product of a shift in our focus. So I want to dig in past what God does. Uh, the Pharisees and the Jews, their perception of the Messiah was completely derived from prophetic words and concepts communicated about what the Messiah would do. For example, Isaiah 9. We, we read this every Christmas. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. A beautiful, beautiful passage. And like I said, we read it every Christmas, and it's absolutely about Jesus. And Jesus is all of these things. But when you're looking for Jesus to only be these things, you're going to miss out on who he is. Does that make sense? The Jews thought this way exclusively about the Messiah, and as a result, they missed Jesus completely when he showed up. They were looking for someone to come in from heaven on a white horse 
to come in and to have their government upon his shoulders. They were looking for someone to come in politically, militarily, and bear their government upend their oppressors and put them back on the top political regime in the world. That's what they were looking for. That's all they thought the Messiah would do. That was the full purpose. They, didn't, they weren't worried about their sin. They weren't worried about the condition of their hearts. They took these words from the prophet Isaiah and all they saw, all they saw was a political mindset. All they saw was a political Messiah, a military Messiah. And because of that, when the Messiah showed up, he didn't look like what they expected, and so they did not recognize him. They missed the hour of their visitation. And not only did they not recognize him, but they wanted to murder him for what he actually was. And this is, this is reality. This is still true. True believers, true, and I don't want to separate true, I'm not trying to do that. What I'm saying is, People who truly know the Lord, when they know the Lord through thick and thin, when they know the Lord and He doesn't heal, when they know the Lord and they walk with Him through the valley of the shadow of death, right? All of that. That doesn't always uh, mesh well with the popular narrative of the Lord, at least in American church. And I mean, we like to proclaim faith, and, and we are. We have to. We have to proclaim faith. Without faith, we're hopeless. It's impossible to please God without faith. Uh, so we have to proclaim faith. But especially in our kind of church where we love the power and the demonstration. We love God showing up and, and just in an instant doing something and, and all that. But, but, you know, I've been in this a long time. And most of the time it doesn't work that way. Most of the time. Most of the time we've got to walk through those valleys. We've got to, we've got to discover who He is. And, and I think this kind of goes in line with what, what I preached a couple weeks ago. But this idea, or last week, good Lord, it was just last week. <laughs> this idea that we have to, we have to uh, guard and steward, that Jesus is more than just what he can do for us. And I know that we know that. But I feel like the Lord is, at least for me, stirring within me again, that, that we can find out by looking at what he did, by looking at his stories, we can find out more about him and who he is and how he is as a person. All right, Because he is. This is the beauty of God is that he is relatable. He is someone that we can connect with. I don't have to go to a priest and an altar. I don't have to kill an animal to appease a God that may or may not be appeased. If my sacrifice is good, He will. If it's not, I'm in trouble. I don't have to do all of that anymore. I can go directly. I have one mediator between God and man. That's Christ Jesus. That's who I get to go through. So I need to know Christ Jesus. I need to know Him. Like Paul said, Christ and Christ crucified. That's what I need to know. I love the Holy Ghost. I love the gifts of the Spirit. I love the fruit. I love all of it. I love the Holy Ghost. But God did not send the Holy Ghost. He sent Jesus first. Then Jesus sent the Holy Ghost. I love a shout. I love a fall. I love a, a speaking in tongues. I love all that. But I've got to know Jesus. Because it all points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus, he said. So I've got to know Him. So the Jews were looking for one whose shoulders would bear their government, who would sit upon David's throne for eternity. Jesus will do those things, but not in their day. He will do those. That's one part of who he is. But that part had not come yet. But because that's the only part they were looking for, when he came, they didn't recognize it. 
We can, we can be looking for an idea of Jesus and God and what He wants to do with our church, what He wants to do in our city, and we can have that idea based on all kinds of prophecy and awesome things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we also need to temper that with an expectation that He's probably going to tweak it a little bit. That He's probably going to take what we think and want, and He's probably going to say, okay, I'm going to do some of that, but that's not all. That is not all there is. That is not all that you've thought about, not all that you've considered. We want to see a church of 2000. We want to see uh, uh, COLGs all over the region. We want to see that. We want to see sons and daughters raised up who become mothers and fathers who raise up sons and daughters. That's what we want to see in this house. And I believe we're going to see it. But everything that comes with that and everything else that we don't know about, I, I have to leave that open to him. I have to leave that open. I have to say, okay, Lord, maybe you are going to do a harvest in a way that we didn't expect. Maybe get, by giving you part of our service, you're going to do something we didn't expect. And he is. And then what does the full fruition of that look like? I don't know. But if I can know him, it won't matter, right? It won't matter because all I know, all I have to know is Christ and Christ crucified. So, Jesus will do those things, but he did not do those things in their day. He embodied the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The fullness of the Godhead. But they could not see it because of the skewed lens through which they were looking. They couldn't see it. 2,000 years later, we ourselves are on the risk of, of the exact same thing. We constantly sing of what Jesus has done and can do. And we look to him to do instead of looking to him to know him. And I don't mean this to be heavy. I'm, I'm trying to set this up. Okay, I'm trying to shift our, our, our approach, okay? Uh, what can we learn about Jesus if we look to who he is first and let that person, that, that person that we meet, decide if he were willing to do something for us? What if we look at a story that we've always looked at where Jesus moves in power and might, and we love the power and the might, but then we look at why? Why did he do, why was his heart moved? Why was his heart broken for that person? Why was he willing to, to go across the sea to deliver a maniac? What kind of, what one of us would do that? Right? And then we have to reconcile that against the fact that we are to put on Christ, that we have the mind of Christ, that, that we are supposed to be like him. We want to be like him in power, but do we want to be like him in person? Amen? Do we want to be, we, we want to wield the, this Holy Spirit like the force, you know, the Jedi's using the force. That's, okay, that's my reference. But I've seen people do awesome things in the Holy Ghost. I've seen my dad pray for people. I remember I was, because I was one of them, we had a big, we had a seven-week revival in, back in the late 90s in the old sanctuary. And God called it. We had church Sunday through Thursday for seven weeks. And that was a lot of church. But man, God showed up. God showed up. I remember one time he was on the stage and we had the, uh, the old communion table. You guys remember the communion table? This dude in remembrance of me across the thing, across the front of it. And uh, he, got, he, he started walking on it in the altar service. Pastor started walking on the communion table because it was, we had the altar and there was a break in the altar in front of the podium and the table was there. So he was walking on the altar. He got up and walked across the table and walked back. And he just did that a few times. And he was just going, and it was awesome. But I remember he said, the Holy Spirit, he said, the Holy Spirit told me to get 10 guys up here, 10 guys up here. And so 10 guys come up, and he said, church, trust me on this. He said, I'm, I'm just following the Lord. 
And so 10 people come up, and I was one of them. I was just a kid at the time. And he, he arranged us in like a triangle, like, a, like bowling pins. And he went, boom, and he hit the first guy at the top of the triangle, and all 10 of us hit the floor. Boom, power. Man, it was awesome. I felt it. It was power. Oh, I love the power of the Holy Ghost. It was powerful. I remember services, people laying out everywhere, just God just wrecking us, just challenging everything within us, right? And it was amazing. It was amazing. And, and I look back on it fondly. But I can say now, 20 plus years later, that, that that wasn't enough. And thank God that wasn't all there is. And there is more to him. And there, there's things yet that we learn all the time, things that I learn constantly, it seems like. And so are we willing are we willing to allow him to reveal himself in a way that maybe we've not uh, considered before? Uh, let's see. It says, over the, next, over the next few weeks, I want to look at stories about Jesus and attempt to dig into the personality and character traits that these stories reveal about Jesus so we can know him and be like him. I want to be like him in the power, but I need to be like him in the character. First thing Jesus ever did after being baptized and affirmed by his father was go into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The Holy Ghost led him there. He led him into temptation so he doesn't have to lead us into temptation. So he leads him into temptation and he, he faces down the devil, Satan himself, like none of us probably ever have, and he overcomes. So Jesus defeats his flesh, his nature, in the very beginning before he ever ministers a word or prays for a person or does a miracle. If that mindset would pervade his church, how different would the outcome be? How different would it be for singers and preachers and ministers and prophets and apostles and evangelists to deal with their character first? To crucify their... He crucified his flesh before it ever got nailed to a cross. He broke the hold of his human nature before he ever got to the cross because he knew that he would not get to the cross if he didn't. And, and we don't do that. We don't do that. Amen? We, we ask the Lord, Lord, defeat this in me. Lord, defeat this in me. And, and a lot of times we ask Him too late, don't we? I'll, I'll tell you straight up, there's things that I've asked the Lord to fight in me, and I should have asked for it 10 years ago. Amen? Just being totally transparent. So Jesus thought different than we do. He did things different. Granted, he had a unique mission. He had a unique purpose. He did something that we cannot do. But he also promised that we would do greater works than he did. He said that. When it's all said and done, you're going to do greater things than I did. Now, salvation obviously is the greatest thing that can be done. But in terms of miracles and signs and wonders, we're going to do greater. We can do greater. So if I'm going to do greater, I've got to do at least what he did in the way that he did. You see what I'm saying? My methodology should mirror Jesus as closely as it can. Therefore, I need to know him to understand why he did what he did, the way that he did it. A method, I'm sure you've tried to do this, uh, whether it's like with budget stuff, like money stuff or business things. You see a good idea and a good plan and you try to follow it, but you don't do it, I guess, the way that the people who made it successful did it. And so you don't have success. Has anybody ever had that experience? Right? Oh, man, this thing would sell. This, people would love this. People would use it. It's easy. There's no overhead, blah, 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 whatever. And we get into it, and it's like it doesn't work for us. 
because I'm not the kind of person that the person who came up with it was. I don't think like they think. I don't talk like they, they talk. I don't do what they do. So same thing with Jesus. This is our opportunity. You'll hear me say that a lot. This is our opportunity. I need to think like he thinks. I need to, to do things the way he does things. I, I can be me, and then I run the risk of success or failure. Or I can be me in the shadow of Jesus, and my odds of success go up exponentially. So do you guys get the heart of what I'm saying? Okay, I hope so. I hope so. So we're going to, we're going to try to know him and then be like him. I want to talk about Jesus' uh, deity real quick, his deity, divinity. Colossians 2, 8 and 9, very familiar passage. He says in verse 8, See to it that there is no one who takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception in accordance with human tradition, in accordance with elementary principles of the world, rather than in accordance with Christ. Verse 9, For in Him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Even today, the most hotly debated characteristics of Jesus or characteristic singular of Jesus, is his deity or divine origin in nature. People all over the world of all creeds and religions will say, Jesus was a good guy, he might have even been a prophet. But you really think he was the Son of God? Absolutely, we do. Absolutely. But that's the question. That's the thing. His deity, his divine origin in nature. Many Christian denominations, other religions, and even cults share a spectrum of views on this topic. The Apostle Paul makes the case in Colossians that in Christ dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead or of deity. Fullness in uh, verse 9 in the Greek, pleroma. It means repletion or completion, i.e. what fills. What fills as content, supplement, copiousness, or multitude. So in other words, and I use this all the time, what fills? What fills the water bottle? The water. We know the water bottle by what fills it. What fills an L8 bottle? L8. What fills a beer bottle? Beer. Well, I'm just thinking of bottles. What fills a milk bottle? Milk. Okay. So what fills distinguishes it from all others. It distinguishes it. It lends toward its purpose. It lends toward its function. All right? In Jesus, Jesus, his flesh was the bottle. But what filled him, Pleroma, the fullness of him was the same thing that filled God. The substance, the stuff that makes God God was poured into Jesus. Okay? So it's not just that Jesus was shiny and awesome and, and nice. It's that he had the very substance of the Godhead in him. Deity. Deity is the Greek word theotes. It means divinity or deity. It is used only in this verse in the entire Bible. And it's translated originally as Godhead. Godhead. The top. The top seat. In Him was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God took all of His essence and His substance and poured it into the container of Christ's flesh. Everything that made God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God, was poured into Jesus. So Paul makes the case that the substance that fills divinity or deity is what filled Jesus on the earth. In other words, what makes God God filled Jesus' flesh. The essence of divinity, of deity, filled him, 
And this divine essence uh, was shared only with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And God wrapped that in the flesh of Jesus and brought about the single most significant lifetime in the whole of human history. There is no doubt that this God-man used the divinity within him to influence the flesh around him. Jesus used that substance that was within him to influence what was around him. We often experience the opposite, where what is around us influences what is in us. Right? That's our human nature. Jesus did the opposite of that. This wasn't done through mystical magic or manipulation. Instead, the traits of God, which amount to being far superior to the best traits of man, those traits came out of Jesus as he interacted with mere people in various conditions in life. It wasn't just that this divine nature was eventually nailed to the cross for our sins. It's that this nature showed us how to live and interact and see the wonders of the divine in the earth. Amen? You with me? So, Jesus has this fullness, this substance poured into him. And this substance is so potent and robust that it, it influences everything around him. It overpowers flesh. It overpowers darkness. It, it undoes bondage. It undoes sickness. Right? All of that is poured into him, and it has that kind of influence. So people like to say, oh, well, yeah, okay, he was a prophet. He was a good guy. No, 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 no. He was God in the flesh. The substance of God was poured into him. The fullness of God was poured into him. Those traits of God, they come out, and they influence the world around them. And, and what happened was the single most influential life in human history. Then the crazy thing is, is that that life is laid down and then, of course, taken back up three days later. But then he offers us an impartation of that life. He says to you and I, hey, you can be like me in the earth. Like me in the earth. Like I was when I was here. You can be like that. So the concept is a multiplied influence and impact where we had one Jesus who did something vastly significant. So now we have millions and billions of people. And I'm not saying little God theology. Don't, I'm not saying we're God. I'm saying we get to be like Jesus. I'm saying we're flesh and the grace and the goodness and the mercy of God has allowed some of that substance to get into our flesh so that we can become like Jesus in this world, okay? Uh, let's see. Jesus literally imparted what filled him into others. So every time someone got a miracle, it was an impartation. It was a piece. It was a gift of what filled Jesus. And that got into them because of Jesus. And this is what we're called to, of course. Uh, let's see. I want to touch on this real quick. I'm, setting, I'm trying to lay a foundation of his divinity and his status as a son of God, as the son of God, um, so that when we move forward, we can we can already have that settled, all right? This is the purpose. We know because of what's in him, he can do miracles. We know he can heal. We know he can deliver. He has authority. We know all this. Some of that will come back out, but hopefully we can get some deeper things than just the, those surface power things, right? So let's, let's go on and establish the fact that he is divinity, he, or divine. He is the Son of God. Now, I want to say this. Jesus, the Son of Man, uh, it, if Jesus' deity can be undermined, Jesus' impact can be undermined. If the world around us can look at Jesus and say, oh, he was a good guy, a prophet, whatever, but he was not God, then it undermines what he did. You with me? All right. So if Jesus never identified himself as deity except in the Gospel of John, this is a common argument. 
If he never identified himself as deity, except in the Gospel of John, which is considered non-synoptic compared to the other three Gospels, then he must not be God. It's an age-old argument. So what you have is you have the, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered synoptic. All right, synoptic. They're very similar. They're summaries of Christ's life. They're very similar. They were written early after Jesus had ascended and the Holy Spirit had fallen and the church was established. They were written in the first probably 30 years. The Gospel of John was written among the last of the books. May have even been written after the Revelation. So you're talking 60, 70 years later, most likely, because John lived to be an old man. The Gospel of John is not like the other three. It's not synoptic like the other three. It's, it's a little bit unique. It shares many of the same stories, but it focuses intently on the last week of Jesus' life. So whereas in the other Gospels you'll have a few verses or a portion of a chapter that talk about the crucifixion and all that, John talks about, for chapters, the Last Supper and the communion and all these things that happened, all right, uh, and the crucifixion. So the, the idea among secularists is that Jesus actually never said that he was the Son of God in the Synoptic Gospels. He only called himself most often the Son of Man, all right? Um, it says, uh, and this is true, um, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man in the New Testament. In Matthew, he refers to himself 29 times. Mark 13 times, Luke 25 times, John 11 times. The phrase Son of Man appears in 108 verses in the Old Testament. That's a lot. It appears most often in the book of Ezekiel in a total of 93 verses. So 93 of the 108 verses where Son of Man as a phrase is used, 86% of those verses are in Ezekiel. In Hebrew, this phrase is Ben Adam. Ben Adam. What's it sound like? Ben Adam. Son of Adam. Ben Adam, son of Adam. Adam is the Hebrew word for mankind. All right? If Adam is involved, this must not be a, a title of divinity, even though Adam was a created son of God, according to Luke 3. Uh, we know from Romans that death passed to all mankind because of Father Adam's sin, but life passed to us from Jesus' sacrifice if we believe in it. How can a title such as son of man even be uttered by Jesus about himself, it is a, if it is a blatant connection to mankind through Adam? It's a valid question, isn't it? Why would Jesus call himself a son of Adam, a son of man? Because he, he came in the flesh, absolutely. There's something, there's something interesting, though, here. If we go to Daniel chapter 7, and I'm sure you've read this before, this is a story of, of some visions that Daniel had while he was in Babylon. And in Daniel 7.13... Remember, we're establishing the divine first, all right? And then we're going to get into the personhood. In uh, Daniel 7, 13, and 14, Daniel speaking, he says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. Now, this phrase for son of man is not Ben Adam. It's bar Enosh, I believe it is. That's Aramaic. It's the Aramaic version, all right? So this is captivity language. All right, when they were in captivity, they learned a different language, Aramaic, all right? So one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, to who? To the one, the son of man, the one. To him was given dominion, honor, and a kingdom, so that all the peoples, nations, and populations of all languages might serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. This passage was readily interpreted by the Jews and ascribed these qualities to the Messiah, of course. God would only give His throne and dominion to His Son, right? It's the only way. He would only give that to one who is like Him. God doesn't just give that away. So this Son of Man must be Godlike as well. Jesus identified Himself as that Son of Man from Daniel 7, repeatedly in the Gospels. So every time you see Jesus call Himself the Son of Man, He's not saying, hey man, I'm just a guy like you all. I'm just one of you. No, He's saying, the guy from Daniel 7 who stood before the Ancient of Days, who was given a kingdom and a dominion that would never end by the Ancient of Days, I'm that Son of Man. And oftentimes their reaction was, give me a rock. Where's he at? I'm going to stone him. It was blasphemy to equate himself with that Son of Man. So Jesus is that Son of Man. He is that divine man that is presented before God. Now, I don't know where in the timeline that that presentation happened. Did that happen before he was sent down to the earth in the flesh? Is that something we get to witness in Revelation in the end? I don't know. I kind of hope so. I want to see it. Because the descriptions in Daniel 7 are crazy. Crazy cool descriptions of the throne of God and the beasts and the angels. and you got to read it. It's, it's trippy. I want to see it. I hope it hasn't happened yet. But regardless, it has happened, but it may not have happened. You guys understand? Like, you guys like sci-fi time travel stuff? That's kind of what we're talking about, right? This could be, it was written in the past, but it could be heaven future, even for us. Or it might have happened in heaven after Daniel, but before us, I don't know. I just hope I get to see it. All right. Uh, Jesus identified himself as that Son of Man repeatedly. Therefore, whenever Jesus identified himself as that Son of Man, he was met with outrage and threats of violence. That Son of Man wouldn't show up lowly and meek, a product of fornication in the eyes of the unbelieving Jews, uh, with a message about sin instead of a message about politics and war. So see, they read Daniel 7, they read Isaiah 9, and they're like, oh, this guy's coming with authority and power and might. He's coming to make war. He's coming as a representative of the Ancient of Days. And then he shows up meek and lowly. He shows up with a message about sin, not about politics, not about Rome. And he shows up, and so because of their perception, because of their expectation, they were looking for the work of his hands. They were looking for what he could do, what he was here to do, and they missed who he was when he finally showed up. Now, is he going to stand before the Ancient of Days? Yes. Is there going to be a kingdom and a dominion that never, ever ends given to him? Yes. Is he the one? Yes. He is. We're going to see him sit on on the throne of his father David. We're going to see him elevate his people Israel to the top of the stack once again. We're going to see all that. But if we're not careful, we'll miss what he's doing now, looking for that, just like the Jews did. We'll miss what he's doing now, looking for revival, looking for whatever outpouring. You know what I'm saying? There's people that they live their whole Christian journey chasing outpourings. They do. How do you put down roots hopping from place to place? How do you expect to grow going from place to place? Wherever the biggest fuzzies are and the, you know, the Holy Spirit's... I don't mean to... I'm not trying to bash the Holy Spirit. I'm not, I don't mean that. Lord, forgive me. I don't mean that at all. What I'm saying is we can chase that demonstration and miss out on what He wants to do here and now. Miss out on what He wants to do for us that will actually grow us. And I don't want to be that. 
I don't want our church to be that. Amen? I don't want us to be folks who are, are so intent on seeing God move and feeling Him on our skin that we, we experience what He moves or what He does when He moves and then we walk out and we walk out the same. Because I've lived enough in Pentecost to know that that is the reality most of the time. Seen people experience the power of God and walk out and go right back to their addictions and their propensities and their bondage. Shout and cry out before the Lord and Monday morning they're cussing at work or at school or at their spouse at home. You know what I'm saying? Like it happens, it's reality. So I've got to know Jesus. We have to know Jesus. We have to know him. And then whatever power he gives is just the bonus. I mean, whatever manifestation he brings upon us, Lord, I'll take it, but I'll know it's him. And that's the other thing, the other side of the coin. Lots of folks don't know when it's not God because it looks like the way Grandma shouted or Papa shouted or, you, you know what I'm saying? The way Pentecost was back in the day. Oh, man, that looks, but, but it wasn't God. We read a book years ago. Uh, we read a book years ago when we were in a season of deliverance. And uh, in the book, the lady talked. There was a lady that was uh, saved and delivered from the occult, and she talked about how that her and her occult members would go into churches, specifically Pentecostal churches, and they would go into places where they uh, would operate in the Holy Spirit. Kind of, we'll go with freely, like super freely. Okay, and they would, like for example, Paul gives us instruction in Corinthians not to all speak in tongues at one time. Do you know that? Do you know it says that? He says, don't do that because if there are unbelievers among you, they'll think you're all mad. They'll think you're crazy, right? He says, it's, it's far more important. He says, I have, I have spoken 10,000 words in an unknown tongue, but I would rather speak one word in a word you can understand than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. He says, it does me no good to speak in tongues at people if they don't understand me. All right? You with me so far? But this lady and their people would go into churches where they would do that. Everybody pray in your prayer language. And then you get this whole big thing going. And those people would speak in tongues. And they're cursing. Because those demons within them, they know old languages. They've been here a while. So it sounds like tongues to the undiscerned, right? It sounds like tongues to people who just want a fuzzy. They just want to feel the, the warm fuzzy of the Holy Ghost. And they are actually cursing the pastor, the church, the move of God. And nobody in the room had enough discernment to know that it wasn't God because they didn't know Jesus enough. That's scary. That's terrifying. Amen? That's not going to happen. If we can help it, that's not going to happen here. Amen? That's why sometimes you'll see, we, and, and, and I'm about out of time, but I, I want to make sure you guys understand this about us. Our pastor has been such a master of moving in the Holy Spirit and discerning. And I'll admit it. I, I hate to admit it, but I'm not a, as good at it as he is as he's been. And so we're trying. We're trying to follow the Holy Ghost. Myself, Pastor Mike, Brandon, Sister Hall, we're, we're doing our best. And we don't always get it right. We don't. But we're doing our best. Because let's face it, when you got somebody who's that good at it, you don't always have to be that good at it yourself, do you? But now we have to learn. Now we got to step up. we got to move into that. And so that's what we're trying to do. And so... Part of that, I believe, part of this focus is to aid in that so that we as a church, we can know Jesus and we'll know when it's flesh, when it's demonic. Right? I think most of the time it's just people being people. I, I think people just being emotional. 
they want to, they're excited, they want to contribute, and they do. And it's not always God, and that's fine. I'm not going to condemn anybody or run them off for that. But I also need to know when it's not. I need to know when it's a demonic spirit. I need to know when it's a curse. I need to know when it is God, and we need to hang out for a minute and let Him do what He's doing. Amen? So knowing Jesus is a crucial part of this. So I, I hope I've set this up well for you. I know we're, we're pretty much out of time, but this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to, we're going to be diving in to know Jesus. The Son of Man wouldn't only come, uh, in their mind, He would not come to heal, to provide, or deliver from spiritual bondage. He was there to, to kick butt and take names. That's what He was there to do. right? That's what they thought the Son of Man was going to be. But he had a kingdom and a dominion that would put he had a, a kingdom and a dominion that would put Israel back on top. Yet the Son of Man, he came with a backing of that kingdom, ready to impart pieces of that kingdom to anyone who believe. And God's chosen people missed it because they were hung up on his titles and how his abilities and authority could benefit them. And it sounds very familiar, doesn't it? It's very easy to do. It's suddenly very plausible that the Pharisees and Jews could miss Jesus so blatantly. And it's terrifying because that also means we could too. I don't want to miss Jesus. I don't want to miss what he's doing. If he's saving folks, listen, if people are being saved, Jesus is in the house. That is a work of the kingdom of God. And we need to take whatever we think or feel and we need to put it under the fact that Jesus is saving people and he is making a difference in transforming people and families. That's amazing. That's a work of God. But we've got to be discerning enough and have enough knowledge of his person to not just look at what he's doing, but to understand why he's doing it. And I think, I think that that is what we can do in this. So next week, we're going to begin getting into stories about Jesus and begin to see this character revealed. Okay? Are you interested? Does it make sense to you? Good foundation for it? Okay. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together. Lord, we ask you to take this series and to turn it into exactly what you want. Jesus, we ask you to reveal yourself to us more than ever before, not just your stuff, not just your power, but who you are more than ever before. Lord, let us know how you think. Let us feel your heartbeat through these, these class times. We thank you for it. Lord, be in this place today. Father, save people today in Jesus' name. Heal hurting folks in Jesus' name. Set people free if they need to be set free. Do whatever you want to do, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. All right, let's get ready for church. Thank you for listening today to the Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.